The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Don't be scared now, but it looks like you just wandered straight into you mind country. That's you mind, short for unaffiliated mind games, and you ain't never gonna be the same again. Brace yourself. It's time for Red Hot Truth Injection. Oh yeah! That's right, bitch. We're rounding up the sheeple and shaking them awake. You mind? Too damn bad. We're gonna set fire to the wool over your eyes. Feel the burn, baby. Hot damn. We're toppling the lies of the lamestream media one by one. Woo-wee! Watch them bad boys fall. Hey, Universe A. This is Universe B, call it, and we're going to tear you a new one. You mind? Okay, everybody. Hey, I am here today with David Schwartz. And Hi there. Yeah, hey, David. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You are a multifaceted artist, but... What are all the facets that make up David Schwartz? Well, actually, I've been making art since a, a young child, as most artists do. And uh, going through my life, I pretty much got started by going to school in Philadelphia to the Art Institute of Philadelphia back in uh, the early 90s, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, after school was done, actually, I went to school for advertising and design, but I ended up not using that at all. So I really didn't get much from school except for maybe good color and design. Um, I did graduate, though, with honors. And um, from there, I really didn't do much for about a year. And then uh, I was making art, sculpture, and pottery during going to school on the side. And um, at that point, when I was done with school, I just took a chance. And uh, I saw a really cute storefront on South Street in Philadelphia. And... Uh, I had banked some money from working for a year and uh, just took a chance. My dad helped me open a tiny little storefront on South Street in Philadelphia. It was like 800 square feet. It was like 300 bucks a month or something like that. This is going back where things were affordable. Yeah. <laughs> um, Philadelphia is a great place. I spent a lot of time there. Um, so that so that was the, the beginnings of it all. That was the subculture gallery, which uh, I've been carrying with me in some shape or form through a storefront or through online or through curating shows with other artists across the country uh, using the subculture brand, I guess you could call it mm -hmm. uh, now. That's what I call it now, the brand. Um, and uh, we ended up, I, I took on a partner for a little while in the early 90s and we ended up opening a second space um, for people who are not familiar with Philadelphia, there's two general art scenes there and areas. One is um, Rittenhouse Square, South Street area, and then there's another one, um, Old City area, where there's a lot of galleries. So we ended up opening a second space there, and uh, we basically just used that. The original subculture gallery was a collective space of about 20 artists, um, Everybody split the rent, the utilities, the wall space. We did basically every month we did a different group show with all the members. And then once a year, we would go outside in our second space in, in Old City and we would do solo shows. 
And uh, Philadelphia has this wonderful thing called First Friday, which a lot of cities do, where all the galleries open up at the same time and there's an art walk. And um, the one in Philadelphia is tremendous. It's amazing. And uh, it gets thousands and thousands of people, even in the wintertime. Nice. Um, so the second space basically was just open on Fridays and Saturdays um, for a very long time. And uh, right around both those galleries stayed open into the mid mid 90s. Um, and then I made a big decision to try to move to New York City and uh, which I was able to do. It took me about a year. I found a space in New York while still having my spaces going in Philly. And um, I basically through the mail and through contacts in New York, basically put together about 35 artists and got a space in Soho, kind of north of Broadway. I don't know if people are familiar with that neighborhood. Uh, it's kind of called, uh, it's by where all the all the uh, the boutiques are on Mulberry Street. The gallery is on Broom between Mott and Mulberry in New York. Um, huge, gigantic space. Nice. Um, it was about 5,000 square feet. At the time, it was very doable. Uh, the rent was like a dollar a square foot. And so I put studios in the basement and uh, renovated the upstairs and had about 35 members in that space. Um, that was honestly like the real serious start of everything, moving to New York. I mean, yeah. Philadelphia was great and I got my legs there and everything. Uh, also throughout all of this, um, I've been making art all of this time. I've had a studio one way or another, dragging around all of my pottery, uh, my kiln and my wheel and yeah. all of my pottery stuff and uh, all my sculpture. And, and uh, at the time before 2000, I really wasn't working uh, making bags. I was actually, my wall sculpture are um, sort of dioramas with, with uh, people and Americana and stuff like that. Do a lot of motorcycle scenes and bar scenes and you know just hip hip fun just fun stuff yeah um and the leather started coming into the into into things when i started dressing up my my characters in my sculpture with real leather and yeah. suede and denim and stuff so that's kind of how the fabric and the sewing came into it um so Right around 1997, when I moved to New York, that gallery uh, lasted, subculture lasted in New York City until uh, 1999 to, into 2000. And I lost my, my lease on that space. And um, my friends, a couple of my really good buddies, my art friends, my contemporaries, um, we all decided that there's really not a lot of ways to make money. And uh, you really, if you're an artist, uh, you work in a bar, you work in nightlife, you work, you know, you, you, you could work some shit job, but you might as well just work in nightlife. Right. So a number of my friends and I were bartenders and doormen and, and all of the above. So I basically thought it'd be an interesting idea to start a, uh, a bar to fund a gallery basically is what we did. And, uh, so I begged, borrow, stole, tip people upside down, and basically we raised about a hundred thousand dollars, and uh, got a space on Second Avenue between Fifth uh, and Sixth. On uh, it's basically the East Village, but it's sort of above the East Village a little bit. It's um, between the East Village and the Bowery, 
and it's a really interesting area. It's where Katz is, uh, right around where Katz's Deli is, yeah. and um, where, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of the famous landmarks right there. It's basically where they're building right now the Second Avenue subway. So, um, I ended up somehow signing a signing a lease with with a you know with the landlord of this building, and uh, it was a mess. It was a oh, complete dear. mess, and we really didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what we were doing. I basically just talked to a bunch of people on how they did, and then we just took a chance. And uh, it was myself and five other people. Um, it took. What happened was, is I signed the lease on the space, and uh, about three weeks after I signed the lease of the space, uh, September 11th happened and the, mm. the planes hit the towers. So what happened was down there at, at, uh, at that site was the Department of Buildings, which I basically had to deal with to get all my permits and to deal with everything that you have to do to open up a space in New York City, really in any town. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the Department of Buildings, the building itself toppled part of the first floor got demolished. So the Department of Buildings closed down. So my project was on hold for about six months before I could even do anything. So we were six months in the hole already. And so what we did is we kind of tried to build on the fly. And uh, it took us about uh, nine months altogether to finish to finish the space. Um, the space consisted of two floors. And uh, there was a big bar upstairs. And then a whole downstairs, sort of like a dungeon type looking space downstairs, which we did live music. And uh, we also, upstairs, we built a gallery in the back called the Fuse Gallery, which is basically why we started the whole thing. Because in New York, it's very hard to run a space unless unless it's like a collective space. And we had all decided we wanted to sort of curate shows of our friends who we thought needed solo shows. So it was, a, it was a really cute space. It was in the back of the first floor and it was about 500 square feet, perfect, beautiful. And someone who really needed a solo show in New York City who couldn't get it because it's very hard to get at a younger age. Mm-hmm. You sort of have to put your time in. Um, a lot of our friends, either on the West Coast or on the East Coast or even in the middle of the United States, you know, there was a at least 50 people that we knew that deserved solo shows for their work. You know, it was a perfect space. It was like 20 pieces, 20 pieces you could fit on the wall and like three or four sculptures in the middle of the gallery. So we just started. We did, and, and what happened was, is it kind of took, it, it took off. Everything took off because no one was able to open up another, another space in New York for a very long time, for like about a year and a half. There were no new bars that opened. There were no new galleries that opened. Basically, New York shut down for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, rightfully so, of yeah. course. Rightfully so. It was a tragedy. And um, so actually, you know, knock wood, we got, very, we got very lucky. So a lot of people that we knew from the years of being there already basically needed a space to, for better lack of words, get fucked up, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. and just like, get get wild out and just do their thing yeah so i I mean i'll tell you a couple things we we did after hours for a long time that really helped us Uh, a lot of famous people started coming to the space and to hide and to do their thing in the in the early 2000s and uh 
a lot of famous artist friends and stuff were coming and staying late and getting into trouble and blah, 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 <laughs> whole thing. Yeah. And uh, we're, you know, we would let it happen because we were excited. We were joining them. You know, we were all around the same ages of everybody yeah. and getting into trouble. And, you know, <laughs> somehow, somehow the bar just took off. So we had some money to spend. So we, what we did for our first show, uh, about four months after the bar opened, we were able to uh, finish the gallery in the back because the gallery wasn't even done yet because we couldn't finish. So we had to make some money in the bar to finish the actual space in the gallery. So the gallery had glass doors and a glass window in the back. So we just kept it black <laughs> until yeah. we were ready to open. And uh, so we paid H.R. Giger. Do you know H.R. Giger? Yeah, the, absolutely. The, uh, the biomechanics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I knew I knew him for a little while, and I wow. knew about one of my very good friends is his his promoter and New York dealer. So I had shown Giger's work uh, in my subculture gallery a couple of years earlier as a favor. I just showed one of his little bullet babies, you know, oh, the wow. with the with the gun. Yeah. So yeah, very cute, very That's... cute piece. It was an it was an aluminum one. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love his work. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's. To me, he's like the the latest of a real genre of work that's new in the right. art world. I mean, right. Biomechanical is like the latest thing that I can think of besides like maybe computer, you know, generated stuff today, social media, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, so, so yes, he we paid him a substantial amount of money. Again, we went out, we borrowed money and tipped some people over and got some money, paid him enough money to uh, fly him out here. So we flew him out from, from uh, Switzerland. And uh, it was a good move because actually it, it, um, it created quite a stir. And, uh, and um, we got a lot of press. Uh, we ended up getting a lot of uh, New York press for that. And uh, it helped our space really get on the map with people who didn't know about us already. So what we did was, is at that point, one of my partners took over the curating for, for the gallery itself. And uh, we made a schedule for the next year of, of artists, All our, a lot of friends of ours who we thought deserved shows. So I kind of made a small list for you if you want to hear some of the artists that uh, yeah, sure. we tried to work with. So it goes from H.R. Giger to Naoto Hattori to mm -hmm. Joe Coleman to Tristan Eaton to Skullphone, to David Yao, and uh, Days, and Leo Fitzpatrick, Anthony Lister, Travis Louie, Nick Zinner from the AAS, uh, Turf One, Derek Hess, Mark Mothersbaugh um, from Devo, yeah. uh, Chris Mars, Mick Rock, who I love. Mm -hmm. I own a couple of his pieces. Uh, Paul Booth, the tattoo artist. He's mm -hmm. a very good friend. Uh, John John Jesse, Ron English, also a very good friend. He uh, he must know Ron English with all the toys and everything. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then a very <laughs> awesome photographer named Ryan McGinley, who uh, is very much into the the museum scene, which I'm really not into. I'm really I've never really been in the museum scene. Museum scene. I, I've shown my work in the Mexico City Art Museum, but that that's really the only time I've ever dealt with any museum before. Oh. Um. So those are some of the artists that I've shown with and that as a group, myself and some of my partners have shown over the years. And um, 
So some of the press we've gotten, we've been in the New York Times and Time Out and um, Rolling Stone we were in and the Village Voice, which I'm very proud of. Um, we had a very small mention in Art News. Um, we were in Juxtaposed Magazine a number of times as artists and also as, as curators. Um, they did like a little special on us. Um, that, so all of that lasted until 2013. Mm -hmm. Now, somewhere between, between Lit and Fuse, a, a very good friend of mine, a sculptor friend of mine named Jim Herman, he goes by Chickenhead. I met him in Philadelphia in the early 90s. We got together, me and him, and we opened up a space called Kung Fu Necktie, which is called KFN in Philadelphia. It's, it's an amazing, amazing place. It's like a fun land. It's, it's like going to Alice in Wonderland. Wow. Um, he's a real wacko, this guy. <laughs> um, and that's still open. That's been open since 2008. It's a beautiful three-floor corner space in Fishtown. And, uh, you know, we were lucky enough to buy the building early in the, in the uh, mid-2000s, so it's paid off because Fishtown is booming now with help from a lot of restaurants. Mm -hmm. So um, right around 2013, uh, I had to close the bar and close the gallery because it was done. I mean, New York had faded, and uh, too many spaces were opened up, and... The whole music scene changed because we were more of a rock and roll place. We right. were showing, you know, we were, we were giving, you know, music people who were making, you know, rock and roll. They, they, so what happened right around like the late 2000s and 2010 is um, techno music and, and uh, house music was really beginning to take off, mm. which I really don't like, to yeah. be quite honest with you. It's not my favorite type of music. Though I do respect it, uh, and I and I, you know, learned to promote it, and I've also learned to kind of like it a little bit now, I guess. So, uh, right around 2013 and a half, 2014, uh, I needed something to do besides my artwork because I really wasn't really doing anything. I was like, you know, just a silent partner in my space in Philadelphia, Kung Fu Necktie, and. Uh, you know, I was making my art and stuff like that and trying to get it out there. And I was making my leather bags. I was really starting to, like, get into my leather bag making. And um, I ended up taking on a project um, in Bushwick in Brooklyn with another friend of mine. And uh, we, we took on a project to open up a bar. And we ended up buying the space, which was a coffee shop at the time. Small space, but two floors, very cute. Uh, in Bushwick, which is a at the time and also now a fun a fun area. It's um, all artists. I mean, since it's become very gentrified and expensive, but um, so that took a very long time. I finally got that open in 2015, and uh, that also lasted until about six months ago, and then it turned from the name of the bar was Tilt. It was called Tilt kind of a play on words from lit yeah. kind of a little play on words and um now it's called the vault it's a uh it's a gay bar and that's what it currently is right now and that's on mckibben street in bushwick in brooklyn um basically for the last 
I guess two and a half, three years, I've been seriously concentrating on my, on my leather bags. Mm-hmm. Um, I show in a bunch of different boutiques across the country and in, and in New York and Brooklyn. And, um, I'm kind of just working on that. I, I have a current project that I'm possibly starting with a, a very good friend of mine in, in Los Angeles. And we may, we may open up a, a space in Los Angeles if we can get it off the ground. Problem is, is now with this whole pandemic thing, it's everything as right. Everything is just crazy now. Yeah. And uh, really not really sure, yeah, not really sure how things are going to go, to be quite honest with you. I really, everybody, I think, um, who, is considering opening up a storefront or considering putting money into someone else's space. I am not sure it's the best move right now. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not so sure who knows what it's going to be like six months from now. True. So you never, you never really know. No. So that's, uh, I guess, I guess that's me. I mean, basically the only <laughs> thing I guess I haven't said was I also, um, am, uh, I build bars. I'm a woodworker and I build actual bars and I've, I've actually built about four spaces completely with a friend of mine. And, uh, I do a lot of consulting for soundproofing for spaces because it's very important when you build a bar to soundproof. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess that's me, I guess, I guess that's me. It's enough, right? Absolutely. uh, It's taken up the last 29 years of my life. Well, that's, that's amazing. I, um, I, I think it's so inspiring, like listening to how you talked about how you started out. I think so many of the artists that we talk to, they, they start out trying to go to school for art. They know that they want to do art and then they go in a totally different direction. And, uh, some, somehow they just find their way back to it, but in a, a much different, a much less maybe uh commercially salient kind of way. Exactly. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's really fascinating. And, and what's so interesting about your story to me is that uh, you're not just in it for yourself. You're opening this experience up to other artists and uh, helping other people uh, sort of get a foothold in the yeah. industry, which is incredibly difficult. <laughs> I used to call it so, when I was younger, enlightened self-interest, basically. Yeah. It's basically helping myself and others at the same time. That's what I, anytime people ask me, that's basically what I say. And, uh, and about school, basically it's, it's, uh, school taught me what I didn't want to do. Basically. Right. <laughs> that, I, was, that was weird. I feel like a lot of people get that experience. A lot of people we've talked to on the show, they went for animation or they went for, you know, commercial design and they're just like, Ooh, too limiting. Can't, can't do that. So, Don't want to sit in front of a computer all day. Right. I mean, that's what it was for me at mm-hmm. the time. I, and it's kind of an oxymoron because I actually sit in front of a computer every day on my phone promoting two, three hours a day. Yeah. So it's the same goddamn thing, right? I don't know. <laughs> well, promoting's a little more interactive, I think, though. It's uh, true. Yeah. True. So you get a little more and, of an immediate feedback. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if I like it all too much, but I do mm-hmm. it. I, I don't have somebody to do it for me. So I ended up and I, I'm kind of a semi-perfectionist so mm-hmm. i don't know if anyone could do it for me anyway no. there's <laughs> you know? a there's an interview with phyllis diller where she actually talks about like in your life you're gonna try to hire out people to do menial jobs for you that you don't have the time to do and you're always going to find out you could have done it better 
and yes. that's kind of how it is with promoting <laughs> like well, that's, that. an, that's an awesome person to bring up phyllis diller i yeah. actually have haven't heard phyllis diller's name in a long long time oh. and i know exactly who she is <laughs> yeah she's kind of a personal hero of mine but <laughs> is that right <laughs> she was is. a wacko she was a wacko that she was great in a though. great way though <laughs> that she was but uh, yeah, and, and um, the promotion part, uh, I think, is one of those aspects that a lot of artists, like, like for me, I'm, uh, I'm very introverted, and I, uh, for, I really struggle with uh, putting myself out there and introducing my art to people, but they're not going to discover it in my apartment. You have no. to do the promotion. You do. You do. And I think that's so inspiring that you really just get out there and you, you start up these gallery spaces and you just let everybody know. Um, I mean, what, j just to start up a storefront like you did, that just such a courageous move, really. Thank you. Yeah. That. So. <laughs> it's, it's very hands-on. And now that all these years have gone by, I understand partially on one end why I did it to work with other people. But mm -hmm. I also know now that it's, more the building aspect aspect of everything that I really love the design and bringing old world into new world and yeah. working with all the amazing textural, you know, steel and old wood. And I mean, for the, the tilt bar project in Bushwick, I actually went upstate and I took apart a barn to, oh, wow. to, and I, and I built the whole, basically the, all the wood in the place was all barn wood. It was actually beautiful. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's my favorite part now, I think, because honestly, I'm going to say something that I probably will not, I'm going to say it anyway. And that is <laughs> that art, artists are a pain in the ass and I'm a pain in the ass. And, and after a while, it's really hard to, it's really hard to, to show people's work. Um, you never feel like you've done enough or you never feel like they're happy enough or mm -hmm. So slightly over the years, I've kind of kind of gotten away from showing other people's work, and I've gotten more involved in uh, making my own work. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm happy about that. I still love, and in fact, I buy a lot of work. I buy a lot of artwork too, especially and over the years for you know most of the time under five hundred dollars. Like I you know I would buy a lot of small pieces. I would do a lot of trading. And uh, I built up a, a really wonderful collection of small works, and um, so you you can you can stay involved in the arts in a lot of different ways. You know, it doesn't just have to be one way. There's right. lots of ways to be involved. You know, and you know that obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're do you're doing a live. What would you call it? A live variety show? Basically? Yeah, we, we basically do. We, we have this and we have uh, Creeping Wave Radio. So we, we do kind of a variety show. Uh, Creeping Wave Radio is more the audio drama. It's more like an old time radio show. And this is kind of a grab bag of all different things. Sometimes we got... Is the radio, yeah. is the radio part of it on social media? Do yeah. you guys do live? Okay, so it's not an actual station on no. on the radio? No, okay, it's, so it's uh, I can send you a link. We're, we're on a couple of different... Fit places uh, do, do youtube um we we do have a youtube yeah and i can send you a link to that as well so. i would like that mm -hmm. i just started a youtube page i'm oh, trying to get it very nice we'll, we'll put you send the link to me and we'll we'll definitely put it in the description here uh yeah i'll subscribe to your uh i'll also subscribe sure. to both your yeah that'd be great yeah, yeah. we're 
we're building a storyline. It started out as a comic book that I was doing. And uh, then I realized when I was doing the comic book, I can write these stories so much faster than I can sit and draw each and every panel, which takes yeah. me like six months to a year to finish a book. Totally. And totally. I was like, why don't I just start bringing in people who, you know, I know so many talented actors and musicians and things like that. Why don't I start bringing them in and start just acting out the story? And it's kind of coming full circle. Now we're, we're thinking about like trying to do animations uh, where we're, we're going to try to pitch it as an animated series at some point. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, uh be very interesting. Yeah. Is it going to be based upon your, is it going to be based upon your drawings and then people will come in and act out your drawings? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. The con we're starting, we're starting to put together the concept art actually We're we're putting that concept well, art out there. And uh, then we're, we're going to hopefully start working with a team of animators and uh, see if we can. But, but that's, that's a little far in the future, so I don't want to whet people's appetite prematurely. Okay. 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 Where but, are you guys based? I didn't um, even, I didn't even oh, yeah. Uh, Vista, California. Yes. Oh, you're in Vista, California. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, please be safe. Good golly. Yeah. Things are outrageous right now. It's, it's, it's a little crazy right now. <laughs> My best friend lives in Los Angeles. He says it's mm -hmm. insane right now. Yeah. Uh, so far, the worst that's happened is my car was vandalized, which it was. yeah, which is annoying. But it, my car is not alive, so I'd rather that happen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, Where so. is Vista North or South? Uh, of LA, it is south of LA. South um, of LA. Yeah, we're probably an hour or forty-five minutes from uh, the Mexican border. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay. around that. Yeah, way down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. So it's 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 I a like pretty fun place. Yeah, um, I like LA. Really considering, I'm very much considering spending. I've been in New York so long. I've been mm -hmm. in New York and Brooklyn for 26 years now, and uh, been through the ringer. And uh, I think I might be ready to spend some time in the West. You're gonna I think. take in all that New York has to offer you, and you're gonna move it move the camp out elsewhere then so yeah i have a friend to join forces with and he's been out there for a while and yeah you know, we, grew up, we grew up together so we're very good friends and he has uh i give a little shout out to uh to to um archival inc gallery which is oh. a visionary space um and uh he's got a gallery in um in las vegas and he has a small space in los angeles and uh he deals with a, his biggest artist, I guess, would be Alex Gray, mm -hmm. the, the very talented visual, uh, visionary artist. Yeah, kind of psychedelic sort of stuff. It's incredible yeah. is what it is. It's, he's got this thing called the uh, the Cosm, the, ca the Cosm it's called, mm -hmm. uh, the visionary Cosm. And it's just, it's a retreat. Basically, it's a big art retreat. And he's got a house with his wife in like the desert or something. I had never been there. Hmm. And um, and he basically just makes paintings and and does does stuff out there. I don't know. And it, anyway, that's that's my friend Eric. And uh, hopefully we can join forces and see where that goes. So yeah, a little shout out to him. That'd be amazing. I mean, we like people think of LA as like uh, being just inundated with artists, but you you really always need new blood to come in. You you yeah. always need to regenerate because. <laughs> people get tired of the same old thing and then it kind of stagnates and we, we always and need I, someone. 
Yeah, agree. And especially mm -hmm. for the galleries that are actually like, uh, where the owners are actually like really putting money into artists' work and actually giving them solo shows and actually doing what galleries really are, you know, you know, from the beginning of what they do, you know, it's either you're, it's either you're a dealer and you're, and you're putting your own money be, behind art, you know, your stables work, or you're a collective gallery of artists and you're trying to like, you know, do it yourself, you know, DIY in it. And, uh, and, you know, either you're a nonprofit or you're a museum, but there's not too many ways to do it. So that's true. I think, I think after a while, people get stagnated on the same on the same spaces and the artists don't want to show there anymore either they're getting ripped off or they're not making enough money and and you know think about it if you're like an artist and you're a professional artist and you have a gallery representing you in Los Angeles and you have a gallery representing you in New York City and I mean how many paintings can you make in one year I mean mm -hmm. any incredible artist maybe makes five paintings a year maybe makes five paintings a year so really you can only do a solo show every two and a half years right. or so. And unless you're selling work for $50,000 a piece, you're not, you can't even buy a house. Mm -mm. So, right. It's tough. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers. No. I just kind of, it's, it's not, e it's definitely not easy. It's easier now that I'm older though. It's, e yeah. it's easy. Definitely. And one of the well, things you brought up was uh, the pandemic. And so many yeah. artists are bartenders or they work in nightlife, they're bouncers, things like that, because it just kind of works with that creative schedule. Um, and that's a lot of that's been shut down. And then done. galleries have been shut down, too. Done. It's yeah. all done. Yeah. Everything's so it's, I mean, it's a scary. rough time to be an artist or a musician or anything creative at the moment. I'm so. I'm. Uh... I actually, in New York City, I, I haven't been out to LA in quite a while, mm -hmm. um, but I do talk to my friend on the phone a lot, but but I do know exactly what New York is like right now. And um, I'm afraid for at least 50 of my friends own storefronts, are, are involved in storefronts, anything from a coffee shop to a vintage boutique to a dog walking storefront to to a gallery to a bar to a restaurant i i have at least 50 people who haven't been able to have anyone go inside their space for going on four and a half months now and uh i don't think they're gonna make it to be quite honest with yeah. you and these are these are all people these are all like people and families and like it's very scary and uh so that on one level, and then you can sort of like bring it to a very lower level. And that is like, you know, what are these people going to do? You know what I mean? Like, what's New York going to do if there's nowhere to go? You yeah. know what I'm saying? I mean, they're like the heart, you know, it's the heartbeat of the East Coast. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's incredible. And, and you know, I've stayed here for 29 years. There's a reason why I have, and because it's a wonderful, wonderful place. And um, I fear, I fear for, for it never coming back. It's yeah. really, a, it's a true fear. Yeah, I've been thinking about that too, because the, the businesses that are going to be able to survive are the big chains that have That's like, it. they can absorb this kind of a loss. 
and yeah. smaller businesses uh, like private businesses, private galleries, uh, musicians, bars, things like that. They're, they're not going to make it. They, they're depending on that, uh, you know, income that's coming in monthly. Yeah, um, there's, there's <laughs> just I mean, galleries are hard enough to stay in business. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, during the mid 2000s, um, a big thing with a lot of galleries were closing dealers who had been open through the Soho days and stuff that were like in their probably mid forties right. were shutting their spaces because they had clientele on their Rolodex in their phone that they, they could just, they could just put up a show in their hotel room where they could put up a show in their apartment and invite 10 great clients mm-hmm. to the show and sell the show out in their apartment. And I feel like that's what's going to happen now again, except with the phone. It's all going to happen on the phone now, and yeah. and no one's no one's going to rent storefronts anymore. No one's going to rent brick and mortar, and uh, because I don't know what the I actually I was just going to say I don't know what the rents are in L.A., but I do know what the rents are in L.A. and yeah. they're a little cheaper than they are in New York, but New York. It's impossible. It would be impossible to make a living now. It would be impossible for someone to spend $200,000 to rehab the space and sign a lease and give somebody $50,000 to get the lease and to build it and everything. And and no one would be coming to your space. No. You'd be throwing away the money. Yeah. So I don't so, know. And I we work, we work with a uh, um, horgasm, which is uh, it, it's an online uh, right now. They're an online gallery, and they they focus sort of on like spooky, dark theme kind of artwork. Um, Checking you guys out, I think I yeah, saw that. Yeah, and so we they've converted everything to online right now, which is you know it's amazing that they can do that, and you can sell the pieces online. And yeah. in some ways, it's good because you introduce it to an audience. Like they're talking about, they have people in England who are watching, like you know, the, yeah. their presentations. But then at the same time, you also lose that community feel that's so important yeah. to art. Hundred <laughs> percent, mm-hmm. the object. Yeah, you lose the object in your hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I believe me, I do. I make leather bags and I make sculpture and pottery. I know exactly what you mean. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. There's a big line in between those two things, too. There's a big line between holding an object in your hand and looking on your phone. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that wouldn't be true if you were talking to, let's say, a 17-year-old right now or mm-hmm. a 16 or a 15 or maybe even an 8-year-old. I don't even know. And uh, But for people my age and, like, I don't know how old you are, but, like, you know, people in their 30s, 40s, 50s or mm-hmm. more 40s and 50s, I guess, um, it's all different now. It's completely different. And, uh, I feel that every time I try to, uh, every time I think about doing something new, I'm, I'm always going back to like, uh, it's like that statement, who you are is who you were. And mm-hmm. I really didn't really believe that when I was younger, but I fully believe it now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you end up like going full circle in your life. You end up like following some sort of circle and it comes right back around and here I am back wanting to make objects again and, and like, you know, getting away from this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. I know, I, I know that you brought up the pandemic and it's very, very scary. I, yeah, very, I don't know. I don't know. It yeah. scares me. No, it's... I'm not really scared either. So it's like, it's pretty weird. 
Yeah, yeah. Now I, I'm, uh, I'm scared for it. It's going to open up, I think, a lot of new opportunities, but we're going to see a lot of things that we've come to love and trust in just die and go extinct because of it. And that, that's upsetting. Uh, but you got to, yes. you've got to always change. You've got to always evolve, but not this fast. <laughs> no, too fast. Yeah. It's, it's too much. It's yeah. like, you have to be able to like wind down, you know, like, a, you know, usually when usually, at least for me, I don't know how it is for everybody else, but usually when you rent a storefront and you, you rent a space, you have a lease, you have a, a, you have some sort of time frame that you're working with when you build a business plan. And when you, when you decide exactly how you're going to make this happen over years. So let's say you sign a 10 year lease or a five year lease. You kind of know what you're going to plan to do each year. And right around, if you sign a five-year lease, right around year four, you already have to start thinking about whether you're going to renew your lease or not. And then if you're not going to renew your lease, you start winding down from year four going into year five. And it's not just you waking up one day and you quickly got all your stuff out of there the night before and you chuck the keys under the door. It's not like that. You know, it's not like you just close. It's, but that's what's going on now. <laughs> it's like people are just like shutting their door, taking everything out of the refrigerator and, <laughs> and leaving. It's yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean. No. I, I, cro I cross my fingers. I yeah. cross my fingers. Yeah. Yeah. That we, we don't just re-enter a world full of just Starbucks. <laughs> And uh, the the big chains and stuff like that. That that's all that exists and in the brick and mortar realm anymore. But um, right. Go yeah, ahead. Yep. I was, no, I was no, gonna but... say with your bags though. Uh, that's that's something that's like a practical usage item. That uh, it, yeah, it's functional and functional. yeah, people are gonna be able to uh, you know use that and definitely bring it through. And and you buy bags online, so it's. And some of your designs are amazing. Good. It's so. definitely good. I, I've sold mm -hmm. my share of sculpture and pottery, but nothing like the amount of work that I sell now. Nothing. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I was lucky enough to sell some work because my work is very kitschy. My, yeah. my, my sculpture and my pottery, it's very kitschy. It's very Americana. It's not like there's no great theme. You know, there's no great idea behind it. It's not like visceral and and uh my leather bags are just americana and fashion and mm -hmm. and for me it's great because i love to sew and and it keeps my hands moving and it keeps me making objects and uh you're right it's functional and it's doable every day people can use the stuff every day you mm -hmm. know so yeah. yeah and maybe that's the reason i'm still i'm, I'm getting into it this much I, i'm not sure Though I am sure about one thing, and that is I, I'm very happy that I don't have to drag around right now my kiln, my oh, wheel, yeah. and and all of my sculpture stuff because it has been a pain in the ass. So currently I have, I'm working out of a small studio right now, and I'm just doing leather bags right now. And uh, all my other stuff is in storage right now until the pandemic is done. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's, it's actually streamlining, and it's been nice. And uh, not always worrying about, you know, having a having a big studio, which is costly on yeah. top of everything else. So, 
Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you guys have like a, a studio that you work out of or anything, but it's always tough to keep like a, a space. It's always yeah. tough, you know. You always have rent. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and then if you you don't well, I don't have the, a divided studio from my living space. So <laughs> my living space and my studio have have melded into one, which is a. a it's it's a constant mess. <laughs> but and, I find that good yeah. now, though, right? I find it I find it good. Mm -hmm. I kind of like it. Yeah. Kind of like you just have to somehow um, you have to somehow kick yourself in the ass some days to do work. You know. Yes. You kind of have to like get out of bed. You kind of have to like you know stop eating breakfast and mm -hmm. start your day. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. I I hide my phone from myself. Uh, yeah. So, so that I don't like go on to YouTube or check my email or stuff of like, okay, you get to do that at two thirty. That's when you get to do that. Okay. <laughs> and, I don't think I have yeah. that much courage. Oh. <laughs> I, don't think I, do, I don't think I could do that. No, I, I, I don't, I, I couldn't do it. No, I'm like an eight year old like that. Oh. I could not give up my phone. I just can't. Yeah, I I have to keep it hidden from myself because uh, it, normally I'm pretty good about that. But some days I'll just like somebody will start sending me messages and I'll be like, oh, I want to see pictures of cats. Show me your cat and that kind of thing. And it's just. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't want to see a funny cat? Of Come course. On. Yeah. So <laughs> just tempted by cats. But um, yeah. And so uh, but or some or the temptation some days you just feel like sleeping the entire yeah. day. And you have yeah. to say like, no, sleeping is not happening right now. <laughs> I like tell myself sometimes, okay, I'm going to work for a little while. And then, and then, cause I love coffee. So mm -hmm. I, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a break and get a cup of coffee. And I like leave, leave and go and, and get coffee. And then five minutes later, 20 minutes later, I'm done with the coffee and I want another one. And yeah. it just turns into five, six, seven coffees in one day, mm -hmm. which is not good actually. But yeah. No, <laughs> but no, so delightful. Not, it is, I must say. Mm. It was always a, a, at some point I did have a little coffee shop going uh, in the tilt space on yeah. this first floor, but uh, I couldn't make it work. Mm. I, I, I don't, I, I have failed miserably when it comes to food. I've never been able to like get food going in any way, shape or form. Like I know how to buy food, but I have no idea how to keep fresh food uh, fresh long mm. enough to make money. You know what I mean? Right, it's right. Like, I just can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how that's done. No, it's a. It's a skill. Most restaurants or food facilities of any kind fail in the first year. They say so. Yeah. Yeah. I failed miserably twice. Wow. Once with a coffee shop that had like you know baked goods and like you know muffins and like small sandwiches and stuff. And then another time with a friend of mine, we tried actually doing like a dinner, a small dinner place and stuff. And it ugh, was terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> terrible. We, we have a place in this area called, um, I, I'm not sure if they're open right now, but uh, Panels, which is a comic book shop slash uh, cafe, which oh, is really cool. Fun. Yeah. Because you that just. awesome. It's great. Yeah. You grab a coffee oh. and you sit and read some comics and then you go buy a comic or two and yeah. Yeah. It's really absolutely nice. zap comics, my favorites of all time. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm very into the lowbrow stuff. I me too. I yeah, love Rat Fink stuff and love mm -hmm. like. Do you, Do you know Robert Williams's work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, love his work. He's he's like one of my favorites. He's. Yeah. I mean, I know him also. He's. Uh, 
an old fogey. He's an he's an old <laughs> cynical bastard, but he is a hell of a goddamn painter. Ugh. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was wondering yeah, yeah. with you being in juxtapose, like if you were kind of in that lowbrow scene, because uh, they do a lot of that stuff. 100%. Yeah. Especially when I was in my early, especially in my early 20s. And my 20s consisted of lowbrow. That mm -hmm. was that was my genre. My work was more. Uh, yeah, it was kind of more punk rock, like my my figures and everything were more punk rock and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, as the years have gone on, my. Um, my style and the work that I like has become more, um, actually not more anything. It basically just, I love anybody who makes anything. Mm -hmm. I actually just love people who make stuff. That's it. it. It's gone from like liking a very specific type of work to, I just love people who make art now. If mm -hmm. you make something, I like you <laughs> basically <laughs> is how it works. It's a good way to be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But early on, early on, you know, a lot of the galleries that I showed at, you know, I showed at this gallery called C Pop, and I showed at Capro Nazan, and I showed at, um, I showed my work at, uh, you know, a bunch of smaller. You know, at the time they were, you know, like La Luz in Los Angeles, and like, you know, a lot of lowbrow spaces that, you know, through the years, you know, a good friend of mine is Jonathan Levine. I don't know if you know who that is, but he runs a gallery in New York called the Jonathan Levine Gallery, and uh, we've always been contemporaries and. Um, while I was running and starting the Fuse Gallery, he moved his gallery from New Hope to to um, to New York, and mm -hmm. uh, he changed things. He helped to really change things with a lot of artists, bringing you know bringing their work from selling for let's say eight hundred bucks to selling for five to ten thousand oh, wow. dollars. And he he changed things over a ten year period or a fifteen or fifteen year period, and um, it's been very amazing to watch. Uh, he has a similar style of work that he likes. I think he likes more illustrative work than mm -hmm. I do, but um, I like more of like lowbrow stuff, but he, he likes the more illustrative, like very technical, mm -hmm. like surreal technical artists. Like a Mark um, Ryden or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. Like a Mark Ryden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. In fact, I think he, he did a solo show with Mark Ryden. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I showed with Mark Ryden. He was a really nice guy too. I showed with him in Detroit. Oh, very cool. It's called C Pop Gallery. Hmm. Yeah. Um, like um, what are the artists? Like Niagara is from Detroit. Hmm. And um, who else? Derek Hess and Glenn Barr, who hmm. I love. Do you know Glenn Barr's work? I don't think I do. No. Yeah, look that look that artist up. His yeah. work is amazing. He does, I think. Glenn got into Glenn Barr got into uh, graphic novels for DC Comics, nice. and uh, so that's his style—very dark and illustrative. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was like the Detroit crew, and then there, there. Uh, I have a friend named Isao Andrews. If you haven't seen his work, his paintings are phenomenal as well. Mm -hmm. He's like one of those people who Jonathan helped very much. That you know. He was maybe selling work for like a thousand bucks. Now his paintings are worth a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just really crazy. <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> to like, to like, to like see the, the progression of everybody's work over all this time. You know, you mm -hmm. actually like get to see, I, I, I mentioned an artist by the name of Naoto Hattori earlier. Mm -hmm. You should look at his work too. He's from Japan mm -hmm. and uh, he makes these, 
these tiny little pieces, like, like two, three, four inches by four inches, but they're one brush stroke at a time, one brush, one brush stroke wow. at a time. And uh, they're phenomenal. And he became a very good friend of mine. He was part of my, one of my earlier galleries when he was 18, you know, now he's in his forties. And, um, I traded him for a piece of artwork when he was 18, a big painting. So I own one of the few big paintings that he's ever done in his life. And it's so cool because, you know, now he sells tiny little paintings like, you know, four inches by four inches for thousands of dollars. So it's just really, really cool. It's really yeah. cool to like to see that. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So you've worked with a lot of artists who like ha have really taken off. Yeah, a lot. So. I mean, the, the list that I listed for you earlier is mm -hmm. just a very small amount of art. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, like just, just from waking up every day, I guess. Right. You just wake up and you do your thing and people mm -hmm. walk in and out of your life. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy like that, but having spaces back then in my early and mid twenties helped a lot that having spaces where I was doing collective spaces, like I was working with a lot of artists at once doing, doing salon shows all the time, helped to create a large community easier than just having like a, let's say having a stable of 10 artists and that's all that would show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, cause that's how a lot of collective galleries are work where you basically, there's maybe 10 members and you know, everyone gets a solo show like once, once every eight months or something like that. So, you know, a lot of people don't want to keep doing, um, salon shows. They don't want to keep like just doing a show where they only get to show two pieces at a time. But I, I always thought that, that, um, that you shine if you keep doing something long enough, no matter what it is. And, uh, I always felt like it was always easier to keep a space open showing more artists than less just for the mere fact that you could get a bigger space and you know, you could, you could be perceived as a bigger space just in general, you know? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and over the years, I guess everything has added up, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's cool. I, I love that. And it's one of my favorite things about getting older is all the people that, that I've, you know, still talk to as well. You know, a lot of people I still talk to. Yeah. I mean, not every day, obviously, but, um, um, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I love that. I yeah, love that part of it. You just accumulate a lot of kind of friendships and things like that, which is yeah, a, I mean, a big part of what it's really about. Just building that art community. So hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you know, it's not easy being an artist. No. I mean, you know, most people don't know, what it's like to be an artist and to actually keep going and doing it throughout your life. It's, I always took it for granted. And, uh, I know now how hard it is to keep something going, no matter what it is, you know, if you're not doing this, you do this. And if you're not doing that, you do that. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's why I said before, as long as you're doing something, I'm, I'm in, as long as you're yeah. doing something, <laughs> I'm in. It's like, yeah. So for um, artists that we have uh, of all ages who are just sort of starting out or maybe they're re-entering uh, the art world, uh, what advice would you have on setting themselves up and uh, getting noticed? Uh, 
are we talking about young people or anybody? Really anybody who's just like coming into the art scene. Would you say that it's a different procedure for somebody based on age? Yes, mm -hmm. I would. I, if you're talking about someone who's been doing something a certain way and then all of a sudden they didn't think or they weren't getting ahead fast enough and they mm -hmm. needed some advice would be different to me than someone just starting out from the beginning, right. I think. So uh, maybe to answer both sides at once would be get your ass on social media and learn how to to get through and learn all the different platforms because there's there's a lot of <laughs> platforms to get your work on for free. Mm -hmm. Don't have to pay for them. And that's a lot of what I've learned over the last about 10 years is what you can do for free and uh, what you pay for and what you do for free are two very different things in my opinion, mm -hmm. both needed by the way, in my opinion. And I didn't think that way when I was younger, I didn't think you had to pay for anything when you were younger, but I hundred percent feel that there are things you need to pay for now. A proper publicist is very, very important. Mm. Very, very important. Um, but if you can't afford a publicist, then you need to be able to understand how to navigate all these different platforms. Um, if I could do it, anyone can do it because I am in a fool. I'm a fool when it comes to comes to the internet. Mm -hmm. I have to call friends of mine multiple multiple times to get the same answer, and I'm laughed at all the time. Uh, but I get it finally after doing it, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. You finally get it. Mm -hmm. You know, you finally figure out how to do something, and it 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 works. Um, uh, yeah, social media platforms, and then I I would say um, I would say staying true. I know this is a very like novel and and very you know something people would say normally but i would say sticking to something no matter what it is whether it's like building a waffle or whether it's like making a piece of pottery or 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 doing whatever it is you're doing acting dancing doing stand-up whatever it is that you're doing um you just have to keep doing it in some way or another and then lastly i would say um, let's say I'm a, let's say, the, let's say out of a hundred percent, I would say, I would say maybe 50% of the time I really, really, really want to make art, mm -hmm. probably about 50% of the time. And I would say 25% on top of that to make it 75% is me forcing myself to do something. And then I would say the other 25% I throw up into the wind. And I, I just throw it up into the wind and that's it. It's basically maybe take on a project or maybe not, or maybe walk the dog or, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know? Um, and I think also you can't be too hard on yourself either because, uh, you know, being humble and comes back around in such a wonderful way over a, a, an amount of years, it always, it always seems to catch you when you when when you're down. Mm -hmm. It always seems to the phone always rings when you're down, and it's somebody that you helped 
20 years ago or, or 10 years ago and they're like, Hey, uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, you want to, you want to hit me up? I'm like, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And, and, uh, and, uh, be a cat, chuck yourself up in the air and see how many times you're going to land on your feet because you will land on your feet every single time. If you really give a shit, you know, mm. and, uh, I don't know, I guess that's really it. Just stay true to what you're doing and try to make things and, and, uh, haters don't spend any time with haters at yeah. all there are a lot of great people in this world and and haters are not worth your time yeah it's not worth no matter who they are they're just not worth it they come in every form oh absolutely yeah. they come in they come in dress of different of every different form trying to fool you mm. and uh what would you if i threw that back that question back at you what would you say Ooh, um, get, getting involved. I, I would say um, sometimes you have to hitch your dreams to somebody else's cart. So you, you look for um, uh, other shows or um, like may, maybe a website or something like that. And you, you uh, one of the things that I did starting out was um, I attached my comic book to a uh, podcast that did uh, Paranormal kind of uh and, and they've since kind of evolved to where they do more than that now but uh is creepy is that the creepy part you're talking about oh uh creeping wave is uh an audio drama that was born from that comic book but the comic God. book yeah it was about my lucid dreams uh okay these weird dreams that i have where i'm conscious that i'm dreaming and i started recording them for a period of time and then i made them into a comic and i was like let's see if uh, somebody will take that and so i i hooked up with this um, podcast that they had a website where they were doing blogs. And I said, you know, how about uh, a weekly comic? You know, why don't right. I just put that out there in, in lieu of a blog and see how that goes. And uh, so they agreed to it. And, and sometimes you, you have to kind of um, take the audience and, and I'd say what I do now isn't necessarily directly in line with, uh, the, the audience that I, that fed in from that, but, uh, it, it tails onto it and you mm -hmm. have to kind of be open to that. You say like, you know, I, I, this isn't exactly what I do, but there, there's, there's some overlap. Uh, so I do a lot of like comic festivals. I, I do a lot of, uh, local art shows, uh, when I'm mm -hmm. able to, um, mm -hmm. and you just kind of, um, where you take your actual drawings and you put them up on the wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, okay. you, uh, most of my stuff is digital right now because I've got limited space. Uh, okay. but yeah, but then what I've also been doing is, is I do painted letters for, um, like nurseries or just decor. And so, uh, it'll be, uh, the child's name. And then the parents will say like, okay, we want kind of like a farm animal theme or we want a sure. woodland theme. And I yeah. do little paintings on each letter. And so it'll say like Patrick or Amy or something. That's and called, yeah. It's called something, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. got a name where, I, what is that called? I, 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 yeah. It's it, got, it, it does. It's got, it does. <laughs> I it's, I like some, it's like some Victorian name or something mm -hmm. like that. It's like some like, like crazy text, like yeah. text Victorian name. I, yeah. I don't know. And I, I don't remember, but uh, I'll probably look it up after this. But um, and, and so I do that. And that that isn't if you look at the artwork that I do for uh, like the paranormal podcast, which I do their episode art now, it kind of evolved into I do their weekly episode art. 
Um, it's much darker, it's much crazier, it's much trippier. But then the stuff I do for the nurseries is like very friendly, very soft pastel kind of oh. colors. And so, Sellable. yeah, Sellable. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, okay. And, and so, yeah, you, you kind of have to say like, you know, uh, it's not exactly what I do, but it, 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 there's overlap and I can do this and it brings me to another audience. And then maybe somebody who bought the letters for the nursery is looking through my stuff and they're like, Ooh, yep. my band definitely needs a cover that has something more creepy, something more spooky on it. And we, we could do right, and that's Yeah. When, that's when the hate, that's when the hater walks in the room and says, Oh, you're not really a real artist mm -hmm. because you don't stay true to what you do. And that's bullshit. And, oh yeah. And and that hater probably does nothing, you know, they well, probably don't do shit. So that's, you know. that's what I've noticed a lot with people who are the haters is, uh, that they, because you risk nothing by you insulting somebody, nothing. um, Agreed. but they, then you're kind of like, so, so what do you do? What, how are you putting yourself out there? Yeah. Um, how you make the difference? Yeah. <laughs> because it, you know, I'm at least changing the world, making it uh, somewhat different, maybe better, hopefully better than it was when hopefully. I came into it. Um, yeah. But you're sitting on the couch, texting nasty things to people. So <laughs> yeah. hiding behind the phone. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just kind of like, you know what, that, that doesn't take a ton of courage that that doesn't take a ton of skill. But maybe no, you could but invest. No, they that do time. really well. They do really well as like the people who post up on Yelp. They yeah. definitely make great Yelp people. That's oh for yeah, sure. yeah. That's uh, they one restaurant. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. One of the things yeah. that I learned in college with like rate your professor. The only people who rate the professor are the people who had some issue in the class, and yeah. it's usually that they weren't paying attention or they weren't showing up, and then they expected to be able to pass anyway. And yeah. then they're just like, this professor is a feminist bitch. And you're just like, are, are they, or are they just, you, you don't like the fact that you could only show up once a week and still, yeah. <laughs> Did, were you born, were you, were you born on the West coast? I was born. Yeah. Um, uh, San Luis Obispo, California. Okay. I don't mm. know where that is. It's, uh, it's so. LA is about two hours north from where Vista is, where I am right now. And then mm -hmm. uh, from LA, San Luis Obispo is more central California. So from LA, I think it's like four to six hours, like a drive if you get up there. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, kind of where Cal Poly is, that college. And it's yep. a, a lot of agriculture, um, a lot of uh, just big open fields. A lot of and land. Stuff. Yeah. A lot of land, right? Yeah. yeah. Open so, land. Yeah. Are there farms and stuff? Mm -hmm. there yep. Farms? There's farms, there's ranches. Um, and I haven't been there in a long time, but uh, from all the pictures I see, uh, I know that San Luis Obispo was really strict about keeping, um, like they, when my brother was in college there, uh, they were really strict about like, they didn't even want an in and out to be there because they didn't want a drive through because they felt like it was going the to. In and out burger? Yeah. The in and out Okay. Yeah, they they felt like a drive through would cheapen uh, their city, and they they didn't want that. They wanted a certain kind of aesthetic for that city, yeah. Yeah. And, and they're pretty pretty diligent about maintaining that. So today, uh, I I think I haven't been there since uh, goodness, <laughs> I think like thirteen years. I haven't. So there's not a Walmart, there's not a Walmart there. There might be now. 
There might be now. Bullshit. So uh, Walmart <laughs> kind of creeps in. Walmart and Starbucks, you can't stop them. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm sorry, but I like Starbucks coffee. I don't. No, I, I like it I too. Don't know what their politics? I don't know what their politics are these days, but they make a consistent, heavy cup of coffee, which is sometimes hard to find. So no, I like I like them too. Um, I. <laughs> I just know that they are what uh, fashionable back when not to like to like them. It was not know, fashionable. You know what's funny is I was talking about that. Um, we used to go to this coffee shop called Java Depot, and uh, it was uh, kind of along the coast, but it was in the middle of like a suburban neighborhood where people like had kids who had to wake up the next morning and go to school, mm-hmm. and people had jobs, and the kids who came there would like come high on K or they just get stoned and crazy in the uh, parking lot and be really loud playing their guitar, screaming and jumping up and down. And, and people got really angry about it. So they started closing the coffee shop earlier and earlier and the kids weren't buying coffee. They were just coming there to hang out. Right. So uh, they were like, Oh, we're boycotting this place now because this place isn't, it's not doing what we want it to do. And they, they'd go to the next coffee shop, which was miracles and they wouldn't let you smoke um, outside because that was the city law that you couldn't right. smoke. And so they're like, right. we're boycotting miracles. They won't let us smoke. It's like, no, nowhere will let you smoke. You can't smoke at McDonald's. You can't, no. you can't do that. Smoking is not allowed anymore. Yeah. And so then That's- they went to this other coffee shop and it reminds me so much of what the people are doing now where they're, they're getting in these angry temper tantrums. Cause like, you're going to make me wear a mask. You're going to make me do this. You're going to tell me I can't dine in if I want to. And it's like, it not, I think this is like the only time in history um, that we've had people who have that kind of attitude. Like I want it. So I deserve it right now. And it's like, no Genera- generation is that called. <laughs> I don't know. I think I lost track <laughs> at generation Z. Yeah. I don't even know what the generation is called now. I, I am uh, considered a millennial. Um, are you yeah X. yeah and uh so but but are you, you're millennial i you've yeah. got to be on the cusp though uh 1980 so yeah okay. i'm i'm like as far a millennial as you can be <laughs> yes you are definitely on the cusp <laughs> yeah so, sorry I, that's not a dig just no saying. it's you're looking at a picture of me <laughs> yeah true so yeah true. yeah so i'm um as as like old a millennial as you could possibly be and yes, um, I think that's the cutoff. Mm-hmm. I think 1980 is the cutoff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. I don't behave that way. And I don't know anybody in my peer no. group who would behave that way. But no. then the people that we're seeing video of are people who are significantly older than me. Like, you know, people in their, their fifties and their, well, I guess not significantly, but like fifties and sixties and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just kind of like, you know, I, you, I know you weren't raised that way. I, I know that no. no, at no point in your life did people tell you that that was the appropriate way to behave. So when did you decide? And I think a lot of it is um, instantaneous gratification from just having a phone in your pocket. Like when you're bored, pop out your phone and you can play with your phone and phone will entertain you. And And when the real world doesn't work that way, when the real world can't instantly gratify you, that people are just outraged and furious <laughs> and they take it out on like uh, the, the uh, checker who's there or the, yeah. and it's like, it's, 
it's not your fault you don't know how to interact with human beings in the real world. <laughs> well, how do, you, how do you feel about all like the protesting that's going on and all of like the, the Black Lives Matter movement and all that stuff? Yeah. Briefly, I'm sure you can't, you can't like stay here all day, but uh, <laughs> um, it's early. It's earlier for you though. You're three it hours is. early. We, we're I three hours get, earlier. We get that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely understand the outrage and terrible, terrible things have been happening and things like that. And I just hope that people keep the focus on the change that we want to see and that we want to initiate. But I think that that's incredibly difficult when you have basically a militarized group that can fire upon you. And, yeah. you know, it, and, and so people you know, they're, they're showing up, they're trying to do peaceful protests. They're trying to conduct themselves in a civil way and trying to get the message out there. And then you have, you know, and it's not every time, but you, you have these incidents where people are firing rubber bullets and people are losing eyes or being, you know, severely mm -hmm. injured. And it's just like, it, we, we shouldn't, that shouldn't be what we're up against. It shouldn't be that you come out there and you state a viewpoint and that you can get brutalized like that. That's, I think that's kind of terrifying. Personally. You know, I, I like, um, I agree, I agree, I agree mm -hmm. with what you're saying. I find, uh, to add to that a little bit, um, I feel like, I mean, this is a, this is on a very base, a very basic level, but like, if you're looking at the United States, mm -hmm. I think sometimes people forget that the United States is everybody, every single type of person from every single type of place around the world is here in yeah. this country, more or less, more mm -hmm. or less. So it makes it, it makes it its own little box. We're like our own little box and we're not the same as, as everybody else. In Europe, every every country basically is is eighty percent of what that country is, and then most of the time there's maybe another like you know mix of another fifteen percent of people from around everywhere else. So I think when something happens like this, many people come come at it from a different perspective all at once in mm. this in this giant whatever you want to call it. And there never seems to be a overwhelming majority ever. It's always 60-40, 50 50 35-75. It's never 90-10 or 85-15. So it's, it's very hard for any one side to really make a difference. And... Therefore, I feel like everything becomes political at that yeah. point. And it always becomes about money and it always becomes about favors and it always becomes about people who don't have to protest and people who don't have to do anything right. at all. Right. So I find it extremely frustrating and complicated when, when you're dealing with a, a country that takes everybody in, which I think it is its most wonderful feature. Right. And, you know, and has always been that way for a very long time. I mean, obviously, thus not forever, but, but like, you know, I feel like, you know, 
it's always been a place that it's always been a place where at least if you if you're able to put up a wall properly <laughs> around yourself in some way or another, you could get ahead. Mm-hmm. And and I know I'm going down a slippery slope right now. I know <laughs> I, I'm going down that slippery slope, so I'm gonna stop right now because I because I'm you know only me and that's it. So um, I feel going back to my point though, mm-hmm. just to end what I was gonna say, and that is that it's very it's just very hard to take this country as as the as the norm. You can't you no. can't use this country as the norm. It's its own thing. It's it's just it's it's its own thing, and it's just it's it's weird. It's very it's very weird. I don't I don't have any I don't have any answers. I don't think anybody really has any answers. I don't I don't mm-hmm. I, I I feel like I mean what what makes one person's what makes one person over another person on any level for anything? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. There's just too many things that, that make up the, 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 the ball when you're going, like when you're, if you're going to go out and protest, you're probably going to see 10 different signs all stating 10 different things. Mm-hmm. So what exactly does that mean? Yeah. What the, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. And my final example would be so so people are firing rubber bullets which is completely wrong. It's right. 100% wrong on every level. Who are the people who are the the people wearing who are the people wearing military uniforms with masks over their face? With with Molotov cocktails, who are those people? Right. Who are those people throwing that stuff against the people who are who are you know a police officer or a a you know whatever they are mil- mil- militia or whatever they are? Um, I never understand exactly what's what you know, and like it's hard to distinguish sometimes what's what, and so I don't know. It's just a weird. I don't know. Is this just jumble? No, no, no. Um, I, I've talked a little bit about that before because um, I'm very into history and stuff. And, you know, during the American Revolution, um, I mean, we, we separated from England because uh, one of the major points was taxation without representation. Exactly. So how are we being represented now? We're being represented. To, I mean, even to become president, you have to be a multimillionaire. Yeah, because you have to advertise. Yeah, you have to advertise. You have to be a billionaire. So you're not reflecting my values. You're not reflecting what I want. You no. know, <laughs> you don't understand my day to day life. You probably nope. never have. You were probably born into wealth, and it's just your opportunities are vastly different from the opportunities that I have or that hundreds of other America. I mean, most of America has. So. Mm-hmm. How are we being represented? Uh, how, how are we? How are they making any effort to, you know? <laughs> but yet, yeah. but yet, the United States functions as one of the only only top five or top ten economically viable countries yeah. in the world that has a democracy. Mm-hmm. That is scary. It is. Think about that. Think about yeah. that. That's that's crazy talk. 
and like I it's a it's it's a big oxymoron how this country even works yeah. I don't even I, I, I think basically how it works is is that there one tenth of one percent runs the country mm-hmm. and everybody else basically just runs around trying to get by basically mm-hmm. you know and and that one tenth of one percent lives on a a bubble they have their own little bubble and they don't have to worry about a goddamn thing about about how much money they give to a, a senator so that they don't have to pay as much taxes that's mm-hmm. it that's all they have to worry about yeah. the rest of their yeah until they figure that until they figure that out i don't think anything's going to change yeah i don't think anything will ever ever change in this country if if the powers that be are able to you know yeah. They're they're able to give their their buddies a job, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, right? That's yeah, pretty much. I think the only thing that we can really do um, on a private citizen level, and and we've had a couple people on here who are like uh, community leaders um, who are uh, council women for uh, Vista on or live, your live show. Uh, yeah, yeah, on oh, on cool. the show that we do we're doing here. The you mind. Um, cool. Yeah, we've we've interviewed a couple different people who are with uh, lo- local uh, like council people, or you know, just just uh, trying to make change in their own city. And I think the only way that you can actually do that is if you are outraged, and everybody should be, then you need to actively participate in right. your local politics uh, right. because that's the only way you, you can't focus. You know, countrywide, the country's too big. Yeah, you, it's just. focus on your city (laughs) yeah and right now is a great time because uh the quarantine has actually made it so that everything's available online so you can watch council meetings online and you can participate and you can make your voice known and that's the only way we're going to start getting changes is if everybody gets outraged and says look we need change and we're going to start doing it you're a hundred percent right. I yeah. have a friend who I have a friend who was going to uh, trying to get unemployment, mm-hmm. and they hadn't heard. They they were able to get through and to sign up and all that, and they had to hurt. They hadn't heard back in about two and a half weeks. It's crazy. Maybe more. Maybe more. So she called her her council person, her mm-hmm. council person in her district, and the next day she got a phone call. Yeah. The next day. Yeah. They, they did something for her. They yeah. actually. They actually did something for her. So yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I get, I mean, th- it doesn't feel like it could really do anything, but yeah. You know, well, it, it, it can't do anything countrywide, but I think yeah. like, you, you just got to focus on the area you're in and say like, how are we going to make this better for us living here right now? You know, we're, we're not thinking about the whole state. We're thinking about this city. So and yeah. that that's all that's all we can do and then if everybody if everybody got involved and everybody started actually putting their two cents in i think that that's when we'd start to actually see a more universal change happen it's a thing yeah. I, I i agree with i agree with that mm-hmm. i just i think I, don't, I wonder sometimes if things just aren't too far gone i just wonder i just wonder yeah. if like <laughs> I just wonder sometimes if, if like that, that is, it's just too far. It's just too far gone. I mean, probably not, but if you look back at any serious change, Mm. it doesn't happen over, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, any serious change takes at least 10 to 20 years to, to really 
take hold. And, uh, you know, it's just now that, that different, different types of people are being listened to, yeah. you know, it's, just, it's just within the last 10 years, maybe that, you know, all of the different, different ways people's sexuality have, have really been able to like, you know, really make a difference in terms of having their voices heard. And, uh, taking a very long, a very long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, I remember when I opened, when I opened lit, uh, in, in Manhattan in 2000, which turned out to be very successful. We, you know, I had no door policy at all. There was zero door policy. So, so we had, we had everybody under the rainbow in mm-hmm. our space. And you want to know what's crazy about the whole thing? What's mm-hmm. really ironic about the whole thing is you would think that would be such a such a wonderful thing but you know what the jackasses couldn't keep it together they couldn't get along everybody can't get along in the same space and i can't tell you how many times i couldn't let it happen i couldn't let certain people in i couldn't let other certain people in and and knowing what they were going to do and Finally, about four years later, I had to get a door policy and we had a door policy from like 2004 until like 2009. We had an actual door policy of who was allowed in our space. So the jackasses ruined it for themselves (laughs) because we let everybody in. Yeah, it's always a that's always a really funny story. I never really (laughs) understood it, but it's true. Jackasses in all shapes and sizes. Oh, absolutely. And and I think that 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 ego reveals itself, uh, given the chance. It's uh, a lot of times when when you're having a conversation with somebody who's super argumentative. Luckily, we haven't had too many on the show. But uh, you you just give them the chance to hang themselves. You just say like, no, keep going. Please (laughs) let everybody know what you think, because... I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put my foot in my mouth again, and that is that I'm asked a lot. I'm asked a lot, or or not me. I'm not asked a lot, but more than ten times in my life, a conversation has come up. Certain words you're not allowed to say to somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't go by the. I don't. I don't. I don't do it. It's not what I do. I if I feel like calling somebody something, I do, but it's never a bad way. It's always the way that that is acceptable when you're having a conversation with a specific person and it's always used in a way that that person that you're talking to knows that you are being a bro and you're not being a douchebag, mm-hmm. you know? And, and like, I've always, I, I don't believe like there are words that you just can't say to somebody. I don't believe that. And I have myriads of friends that agree with me who are, you know, of color, uh, of, of a different, of a different race or a different sexual, uh, orientation or anybody except for me, different, different than me. They always know how I mean it. You know, they always know they, and like, I, you know, right now there's a big thing going on where like, you're just not allowed to say certain things no matter what. And I just don't believe, I just, that's not how I live my life. I just don't, I I feel I feel like respect goes past respect mm-hmm. when when you're truly likable. You know what I'm saying? When you're truly when you're truly uh, allowed to be likable by somebody else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like where you're respected enough, where where the tone of your voice 
gets across what you're saying, not the word. It's the it's the tone of your voice. And it's always been that way for me. I, I never have like I obviously wouldn't call somebody something that I didn't know that I probably think it's going to offend them. But it's never stopped me from using a word that's derogatory in most cases to somebody that I know I can use that word. And it's a it's a fun thing instead of a, you know, a disrespectful thing. So I don't know. Well, I think like in the private sector, when you're speaking to friends, um, I'm not sure that that's that's the concern. I think the concern is usually more um, on a level where you're representing an organization or a corporation or something like that. And you don't want to be associated with the negative connotation that can come right. with that work. And right. that that's when people are stripped of their jobs or stripped of like their status because uh, at that point, you're not talking to somebody you have an established relationship with, a friend. You're talking on a much broader spectrum. And there's people who are going to fall into that who are going to be wildly offended by Right. That kind I agree. Of I just yeah. think that people need to, to look at that distinction. And I think oh, a, lot yeah. of people, a lot of people don't look at that distinction at all. You oh, know, no. like yeah. they'll be standing... I could be standing next to somebody and my, my very good friend is standing next to me as well. And that other person gets offended by the way we're talking to each other. And, you know, like, how dare you use that word? You know, how dare you? Like, I dare, I dare all the time. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I just find it funny. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. Yeah. No. And, and, uh, the, the pendulum swings back and forth on that kind of thing. If you, you take, um, I mean, people love to cite Lenny Bruce or George Carlin, but a lot of the people who are citing them don't don't understand the message that they actually conveyed and stuff like that. I agree yeah, hundred percent. What was that other guy? There's another guy who was very hard to 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 understand and get through as well. Oh, um, um, what the fuck is his name? Uh, he not as not as cult like as as Lenny Bruce and and uh, uh, Richard Carr. Uh, what the hell is his name? Oh, forget it. I'm not going to remember <laughs> much. Pot. I, I yeah. can't. There's no. There's just no way I'm going to remember. But yeah. there was a dude that had a night a nighttime show for like two years, and people couldn't understand him because his analogies were they were just too specific to mm -hmm. like his friends. He was like talking to like instead of talking to the country, he was talking to like a group of like 25 of his friends, you know, like they're the only ones who understood what he was saying. <laughs> it's like, not, not Richard Lewis. Uh, what the fuck is his name? Hmm. I'm going to have to do some research. Yeah. yeah his, his, uh, his, his, his uh, show didn't last. What, was it recently? Was it Dennis Miller? No. Or Dennis Miller? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did you know that? That's, uh, that's exactly who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember that. I was in college, I think, when that was going on. Yeah. Yeah, he had yeah. a way of talking that was so funny and so specific that it was kind of hard to follow a little bit. Like, it was very, very specific. And, uh, yeah, he just he couldn't reach out to enough people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was a funny motherfucker, though, man. But you see, he 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 reached people like you, and and so now that gives those kind of people kind of a cult status. Like that, they, they're not for everybody. They're for no. the people who get it, and the people who yeah. care and understand and enjoy that. Yeah. And um, that's one of the good things about the internet is that people like that, people who really are kind of a a niche 
kind of group like that, um, that they're able to get funding through Patreon or stuff like that, or um, ha- have a YouTube like channel. Bill Moore. People yeah. like Bill Moore, who, who started in just that way. He has now evolved into something bigger and, mm-hmm. and more inclusive to all things that he, yeah, just more inclusive to whatever it be. And uh, he's got people he needs to satisfy now. It's not, it's not like he can do whatever he wants anymore. Yeah. But when he first started, when he first started out, he, you know, he he was like very specific, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. It was very very specific. Like on Comedy like, Central, uh, politically incorrect. Politically incorrect. When yeah. he was doing the show at the very beginning, it was very specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was really honestly talking to like maybe a thousand people oh, at yeah. a time, maybe. And and now he talks to you know millions of people at oh, a time. Oh sure, millions. What's so funny about that is that was an era like the show is called politically incorrect because we were just then having that upswing of people introducing that idea of political correctness. And not that I disagree with political correctness. I think there's certain uh, limitations that you you need to have in polite company. Ralph Nader is a perfect example of that. (laughs) But then, yeah. Uh, um, And just that the comedy of that time period if you look at somebody like tom green or something like that everything was about pushing the envelope as far as you could yeah mm-hmm. you know and and now the people who were uh the big movement back then that the people who are the big names in comedy uh, the big names in youtube they're getting uh kind of punished because they adhered to what was just you know the the comedic the masses yeah the masses what people yeah. were, were clamoring for at the time. And now people are looking at it through a different lens and saying like, no, 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 that's, that's outrageous. And it's like it at the time, that was the whole point. You're, you're kind of missing yeah, that like nuance. Legalized, yeah. Like legalizing marijuana. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, back then, oh my God, back then it would be like, you know, getting burned at the cross. But, oh yeah. Remember know, how yeah. outraged people were about Bill Clinton. He's like, well, I never inhaled. And it's just like, yeah. Yeah, please come on. <laughs> yeah. The three strikes, the three strikes law. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. seriously, you put like you know, hundreds of thousands of people in jail for for smoking a, a joint, and it's then ridiculous. once they get yeah. in jail, they get stabbed and they got to fight, and then they get put in the hole, and then they get another year on top of the felony that they already have, and they're fucked and mm-hmm. they're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that didn't work out very well. No, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah, it's uh, it, it wasn't apologized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't well thought out. It was uh, it looks good on paper, I think. And uh, well, he failed. He failed on that one. But he's a good guy. He, he failed. He failed. On, he definitely failed on that one. <laughs> yeah. No doubt that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's strange, and uh, I'm I'm sure you've noticed like uh, certain things you can uh, that that were fashionable art wise uh, back in that time period. Like if you tried to promote it today, people would be like very much um, I like like, <clears throat> in, like Damien Hurst, mm-hmm. like Damien Hurst. You you can't be cutting a cow in half right now and, yeah. and putting it in the middle of a gallery. You just can't be doing that. Yeah. You, you, the gallery would be protested and closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Be immediately like, shut down. Yeah. But at the time it was like, no, this is the message that I'm trying to convey. I want to be offensive because I want you to be enraged and I want exactly. you to. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't go now. I mean, it goes, but 
Mm-hmm. It, it goes, but it's not the same thing. It's like, you know, how many colors can your hair be? It doesn't work anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> there's nothing left. There was nothing left when I was coming up and, and it's even less now. So, you know, it's, it's very hard to, uh, to make people go, Oh my God, that is the coolest, most original thing I've ever seen. I, I don't think that exists anymore. Yeah. But, you know, maybe if, if like a different life form came down and, and somehow appeared and said, uh, we exist too. Maybe that would be the, the most original thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They need to hurry up. <laughs> it's certainly <true. laughs> get, out, get down here. They're doing yeah. that. Uh, have you heard about this? They're doing the global convergence. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, 10, 10 days of meditation because the planets are going to align where they're trying to contact an alien race, uh, because people, honestly, I think it's because we're so desperate for help right now. Oh my God. We're just like, could, could you please just somebody help us? What, we can't figure this out. What manifesto did this come from? Jesus oh, it's, Christ. it's all over the place. Uh, you, you can Google it and check it out. Yeah. It's, What's uh, Huh? It, I think it's um, harmonic convergence or galactic convergence or something like galactic that. In, that yeah, that would make a great movie title. Yeah, actually. yeah. That people are people are trying to bring the aliens through meditation for ten days. They're they're going to try to bring them to the planet, and uh, which historically, if you think about it, uh, the the invading forces to a, a primitive culture were not necessarily kind. But, um, you know, if that's well, flus and back flus are definitely like plagues are definitely not kind. No, <laughs> definitely not. No. <laughs> definitely so, not. so uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that's going on because people are just like wringing their hands going, what are we going to do? And, uh, yeah, solution that would have seemed ridiculous last year, even now people are like, yeah, let's bring aliens. And <laughs> It kind of shows you how far things have have come. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's so. it's got it's it's gone on top of the mountain and now it's coming down. It's like it's coming down now. It's not going up. It's coming mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> There's going to be a severe learning curve. That 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 I know that uh, relearning how to negotiate this world after everything that's happened is, is going to be quite a trip. Very, try not to even, I try not to really even get that far. The last like couple of months, I've just been like, literally, unless I've had to like try to come up with some sort of cash one way or another, I've been like literally thinking like a week at a time, just like a week, week, then another week, then another week, Mm -hmm. then another week. And, that's how it's going for me. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, I think, think when it first started, it, it was like minute to minute, even <laughs> you're just yeah. like, how am I going to yeah. get through these five minutes right now? So, but, uh, like yeah. a crazy panic attack every <laughs> fucking half a day, you know, it's mm-hmm. like getting a panic attack every half a day. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, want anyone to to have <laughs> no that's for sure no. no it's it's crazy though but it sounds like that you're keeping yourself sane and that you're doing good and uh hopefully really happy to have done this it's really yeah. great it's yeah. been very fun 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. I was so excited to find you. And I actually found you through Facebook. You can meet so many amazing artists and stuff like that yeah, through online. Did we find? Did we? Did we find? Or did you find me through a group on on Facebook? Is mm. that how you found? I uh, you, you came up in my recommended, and oh. I looked. I looked at your uh, page. And I said, oh, wow, this is some really nice stuff. I, this is really kind of fun. And then I, I read that you had, uh, that you were a potter and that you're a sculptor and that you do all these different things and that you were the founder of uh, Tilt and that you're founder of Lit and you, you did all these things. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely somebody who I am interested in hearing from, you know? That's awesome. Thank you. So, That's yeah. great. So Facebook is working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I, I had totally abandoned Facebook before I started doing local art shows, and then you needed it to sort yeah. of get in touch with uh, people who were in the community. Uh, but before then, I was just like, yeah, I don't care what my aunt is doing. Oh, my aunt's yeah. going to Walmart. That's great. <laughs> I use it. I actually use so. Facebook for just the opposite now. Mm -hmm. I use actually on one level, yes, I, I use it for all the old friends I've had mm -hmm. from where I grew up, all my very good friends from when I was like, you know, very young. Yeah. And then I also now use it for people who are very, very far away, like in Africa mm -hmm. or in Asia or in, in where like these groups that, that are on Facebook are set up by people across the world. Yeah. And it's very interesting to make, to make, you know, contacts with people from places that you can't get to, you know what it I mean? Is. Like yeah. probably would never, ever get to. And probably the last 400 friends on Facebook are all from international countries all over the world, which yeah. I find really awesome. I find yeah. that really interesting, you know, yeah. so it's making the world smaller. So exactly. Yeah. Which I never would have been able to do in any other way. Mm -hmm. This specifically like Instagram doesn't have that option and, and Twitter doesn't really have that. I mean, Twitter kind of has that option. YouTube kind of has that option, but Facebook's very specific. It's yeah. like, you can do very specific things on there, which I, I still like. Mm -hmm. So, But anyway, thank you so much for letting yeah. me do this. Yeah, you're Appreciate welcome. It. All right. Well, take care, David, and thank you so much. And I will let you know when this episode airs. Awesome. Thank All you right. again. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey. hey, special thanks as always to David Schwartz, the artist extraordinaire. You can follow David Schwartz at Subculture Gallery on Instagram, that is his gallery, or at schwartz.david.ira. He has a YouTube channel, check that link in the description because you gotta, you gotta check it out. And thank you so much to Savage C. Walnar, our legendary announcer who we could not do the show without because he opens it. And special thanks again to Ethan Mixell, the composer of the Mind theme, Demilitarized Zone. I love it, you love it, we all love it. You can go to patreon.com slash lucidnap to support the show on a monthly basis, or you can go to buymeacoffee.com for small, one-time donations, and that is buymeacoffee.com slash lucidnap. That's me, Nap. Hi, how are you? You can go to lostbreadcomic.com, and you can buy my comics, you can buy my art, commission an original piece. It's what I do. I draw stuff. I don't make money unless I do it, so... Go ahead and ask me to do it. I like doing it. Kind of. It, it sometimes is a grind, but you know how it is. And you know what? You should definitely check out Creeping Wave Radio. Creeping Wave Radio is our original audio drama. We have so many amazing, talented actors, so many amazing, talented musicians who feature on the show. 
We're hopefully coming out with a new season in October, but mostly thank you for watching. Thank you for listening, whatever you're doing right now, and a super duper special amazing thanks to our Patreons, The Gramerica Show, Nikki Benfield, and Neil, because you make this happen. You make the magic. It's all about you. It really and truly is, so thank you. The You Mind is brought to you by Lucid Knot Productions in cooperation with a hairy old man. I'm not that hairy. Can't you just give me this one? This is Jim Adams from Monster Attack. Hey, if you remember that monster movie from your childhood that got it all started for you, the one that really got you interested in monster movies, horror movies, sci-fis, and cult films, then you're going to want to listen every week to Monster Attack. We look at some of our favorite monster movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. With new episodes uploaded every Monday, it's Monster Attack. Exclusively on the Project Entertainment Network. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.